Hi, everyone. I'm John Strasner. And I'm Berta Alexander. And this is Break Some Dishes, an Imagine a Place production. We're looking to places where radical change and transformation are happening. We're talking to people who cross boundaries of their disciplines to use design as a tool to solve the world's most pressing problems. Let's break some dishes. Welcome, 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 everybody. This is one of the rare opportunities when Verda and I are actually together. In person. In wow. person, which is crazy. <laughs> Hi, Verda. Hey, John. <laughs> so this is really exciting because we actually have this awesome panel with us today. Very, very smart people. And Verda, we made another mistake, right? We were surrounded ourselves with people that are smarter than us, which was always our golden rule that we we Sorry. never managed to follow. But, but. The, we have the person that blew the lid off of this idea that interior designers don't have that much of an impact. And uh, it was published in Metropolis Magazine. It's my, it's my Bible, this issue <laughs> that I think came out in December of 2020, where you actually did a study, Jen, in mm -hmm. Seattle with your own <laughs> firm mm -hmm. about the impact of carbon impact of interior spaces. That's right. So when I first learned about the embodied carbon uh, taking over as maybe more of an impact versus operational carbon, I started to wonder um, as an interior designer what I can do because it hasn't been part of the conversation for interiors. And um, the study that we did with our own offices, uh, cyclical renovations, we found that over 60 years, the uh, embodied carbon impact could actually rival um, structure and envelope. Um, and that was when the light bulb went off, like we need to change how we practice and how we see this. And I think that's how I met David too, because Metropolis published the, um, the research and then worked on the climate pledge or the interiors pledge. Um, and now I'm here and we have, we have, uh, more impact than we imagine. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. to me, that's the first step, right? To, to acknowledge or understand what our role is and what our impact is. And, mm -hmm. you know, you look at that pie chart that says the building industry is 40% of carbon emissions, but then when you start to dig in and realize how big of a, an impact interior design can have, then that's when you start forming these committees and start taking action, right? Yeah, and the embodied carbon conversation is so important because I want to go back to one of the things, Ken, you were talking about earlier today when you were you were almost sounding a little frustrated because you've been in this conversation for a long time, you know, and you could, you could look at where we are today and say, Oh my God, like we're no better today than we were 40 years ago. A few but, people on the committee said that yeah. <laughs> we haven't gone very far. Yeah. Yeah. But and you, you know, you gotta be careful. You don't want to be all doom and gloom. Right. Right. Well, in some ways, um, I, I think things have advanced, you know, significantly. Like, and what's frustrating to me, I think, is that uh, the folks out there that are making uh, the products that we put in our interiors have gotten, you know, on, on the train and are going in the right direction. Yeah. Right? But uh, what's frustrating to me is that now, uh, you know, because 
The first truly green project I ever did was the headquarters for Greenpeace in 1999. And at that time, there were very few green materials out there available. Uh, and so it was a bit of a struggle. It required a tremendous amount of research, and there just wasn't a whole lot to go on. It's prior to LEED and all of these tools that, that we've got now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, uh, Fast forward, you know, uh, 23 years, um, we've got a, a tremendous amount of tools out there and a tremendous amount of green materials and green furniture and all kinds of things that are out there available to us. And uh, so it's arguably much easier to do it now than it was back then, mm. uh, but we're still not doing what we could. And there's a a lack of understanding about it. And I think there's a fear. Uh, a lot of fear is uh, in regards to uh, the cost, like which I think is a, a false fear. Certainly there are things that you can do in a project uh, that are very green that do cost m more money. But generally speaking, when you do that, there's a payoff on the other end. And so it's a, maybe a longer term you have to see the ROI. proposition yeah. and, and there are ROIs. And then there are many, many things that are, you can do at absolutely no cost. And it's just thinking about the strategy and, and in some cases, even lower cost, like especially when we get into a conversation about reuse of materials and mm -hmm. so forth, or even designing for deconstruction, yeah. that type of thing. Well, somebody, oh, go ahead. Sorry, somebody said that they felt like we're still in this early adopter phase. Which it, oh, yeah, when, when, I, when I heard yeah, that, I'm like, yeah. yeah, huh, it does kind of it, feel that way. It was way. Linda. And it was so, Linda, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the yeah. brilliant and Linda Sorrento. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant Linda, Linda Sorrento. It was yeah. amazing. And, and Lisa, that, I think that got us talking a little bit about the next generation. And I know you're in academia. Right. Yeah. And that that could really move the needle if we can educate students. And I think, you know, one of the things that, strikes me about being in higher education and I've been I started out in practice and I started out doing historic preservation and adaptive reuse and that's how I got into sustainability in the first place and so when I started teaching which has been about 20 years ago now I thought it was really important to be having that conversation as a part of higher education. And it's integrated to interior design education now. It is something all accredited programs are having to teach about. And I think what we're going to see is a change, you know, over the next couple of years, decade possibly, of where people are coming in knowing that, you know, when you're a brand new college graduate, though, you aren't going to go into Ken's office and say, right. hey, we need to be doing this, you know, but as they mature and they're feeling comfortable in their new career, I think we're going to start to see that because yeah. they're learning about biophilic design. They're learning about lead. They're learning about the well standard, you know, they're learning all these things and mm -hmm. as a part of their design process and they come in wanting that. Is it going to be part of a recruiting retention effort from firms to, to sort of empower mm -hmm. young designers? Yeah, and allow that? them to contribute that. I, I think that's going to be, you know, I would imagine they're going to be frustrated if they 
are stuck in a situation where they can't contribute that. Like, no, I understand you know that, but go pull this set of CDs and do this this way. You know, I think it's going to take some shifting of the culture of the existing, you know, people in in the firms already to allow for that, to allow for change. Because, you know, change costs money, right? You change your process, you change your details, mm. change the mm. companies you want to work with, and so on. And that that's going to... I think that's part of it. Do the do the students have any kind of a preconceived notion of what it's going to be like when they start practicing? Do yeah, they I think they probably it? we do, but you know, school is a it's a contrived environment, right? Some some programs don't even use real world projects, for instance. Some do, not all of them. But, you know, you don't work directly with a client in school, usually. And so just that whole shift in thinking you're going to be the designer on the project because you have been in school. You get into an office and you're contributing to production documents and part of a team, but not the lead designer. Mm -hmm. So I think there is always a kind of culture shock when yeah. when you well, go I, out. I think that yeah. I, I just want to add that I, I think that students right now are in a power position. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. everybody's clamoring for talent. Right. And so that's a power position. And I would say that you every every graduating student should uh, when they're in that interview with uh, prospective uh, employers and and if they're sharp and talented, they're going to have multiple interviews, right? Right. Ask the firm, what is your position on climate health and equity in your projects? And, and let them respond to that and mm -hmm. find out if they haven't already done the research beforehand. But Which I hope I, they have. I think that <laughs> part of it is, you know, um, I think the profession is moving in this direction uh, but we just need to have a move even faster, right. you know, and, right. and so make it easier. We have to eliminate the friction that we've got in, in that's hindering us from doing more. And I think this is a position where students I know care about it generally and and that they can help drive that change in their firms. Where's the friction right now, do you think? Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about the idea of cost and things. And, and it's interesting to see the path of uh, sustainability. Uh, and I'm going to use the word sustainability as kind of a holistic thing. You know, I know we're, we're, we've been always yeah, we're not trying crazy to, about that. Crazy word. about the word. But, um, but over time, initially, it was about creating awareness. And then it was about creating. Uh, a common vocabulary, which I think the U.S. Green Building Council did a great job of, you know, lead and breaking it down. And it's and it's not just energy use, mm -hmm. you know, which used to be, you know, and it was this outcome of the oil embargo in the 70s. You know, everything was about energy. It wasn't just about energy. It was about uh, material health. It was about indoor air quality. It was about uh, communities and site and selection and things like that. And, uh, and then uh, the next step was just to double down on those things. And now we're in this position where we're really thinking about carbon. And carbon is really tied 
to energy for sure, but there's a lot of mystery around carbon. And that's a difficult thing for us all to get our arms around. But uh, basically, almost everything we do produces some sort of carbon. Talking yeah. right now produces yep. carbon. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, yeah. And all, all those things. And, and so how we manage that, because we've got to get carbon, uh, we've got to stop putting uh, anthropogenic carbon into the atmosphere, basically. Mm. And so, uh, and that's, a, that's just almost too big of a problem for people to understand, but there are ways uh, that we can do it. And we're digging into this. <laughs> one one bit less for me. Get rid of it, okay. get rid of it, get rid of it. Ah, there it goes. Field goal. Never mind protecting threatened <laughs> ecosystems. Kill that fly. I do, I do think part of the, the friction comes from this value proposition for our clients. And yeah. David, yeah. And David or and for Ken, lack of understanding what the value proposition right. exactly. is. Exactly. And yeah. David and Ken, you both work with Perkins and Will, and I'm sure it's not. People probably come to you because you guys are really the, the North Star on sustainability, net zero design, et cetera. But I'd love to hear from you, David, maybe some thoughts around clients and Jen as well, since you don't work for Perkins and Well and how the challenges and the friction that you've had. I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've had a lot of conversations uh, how you sell designs to a client who isn't specifically asking for it. So, you know, Ken and I both practice in DC and we're lucky in that there's a lot of mission driven clients in DC that have that as part of their, their goals. Right. But how do you talk about sustainability? How do you talk about climate? How do you talk about health? Uh, if that's not part of their, their mission. And I think part of it is, is figuring out what does matter to a client and, we're very used to talking about our designs in a way that celebrates the design, right? Like we're so such amazing designers and we're giving you this thing that does, you know, this and it's reduced embodied carbon and it has no toxic materials. Instead of talking to uh, clients about how our design is going to help them with their mission, right? How do, do our design solutions help you attract and retain clients? Uh, perspective talent? How does it help you further your mission? How does it help you, you know, does indoor air quality make people, you know, more cognitively function at a higher cognitive level? And so they're going to be more productive and better at strategic thinking. So more it's, creative. yeah, it's, it's changing how we talk about our design to celebrate us less and talk about how the design can help our clients celebrate themselves. And I think ESG reporting is actually a really good tool for that because we're seeing more and more RFPs come out from from clients who've committed to some kind mm -hmm. of net zero goal with yep. no idea how they're going to get there <laughs> <laughs> or even what report. that means right yeah. uh, and so there's a there's a real opportunity for us to say listen these are these are the ways that we can help you meet and celebrate your your ESG goals and that will then in the long run help you so there there's a really nice opportunity there to lean in that. Yeah, I I would say um, some of the frictions, I feel like, same with climate change, there's a, a slow kind of inertia towards where we are now, which leads to a lot more urgency. And I think that's the same in terms of how we practice, like we've sort of been used to how we've been doing things. And we're getting to a point where 
clients are asking for it. I think design firms are ready for that big change. Um, and even for the ones that aren't ready for it, I think as designers, there are things that we can do, just make better choices that doesn't necessarily cost any different. Um, so I think seeing that is hopeful because now we're getting more clients that are willing to sign on and say, I have this ESG goal and how do we get there? And we can figure it out together and we can, we can experiment. I mean, I think throughout maybe the past 10 years, there's materials that would come out that has new technology and they might actually have failed at a certain point, but then they are moving in the right direction. And I think being um, open to trying things that might not work right now, but can make a bigger shift later is is kind of the fear, but sometimes that will get us further if we're willing to break things a little bit and put it back better. I also think, just to pivot a little bit, I think a big point of friction is time and resources. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of firms, a lot of designers are interested in, in designing responsibly, but they just don't have, maybe they work for a smaller firm that doesn't have the resources of a Perkins and Will or, uh, you know, you know, whatever the challenge is, but like, how, what are the tools that are available to help them? What are the platforms to help them track? And so yeah. I think, yeah. you know, part of what our committee is trying to do is really help link designers to tools like, you know, Mindful Materials or the Carbon Leadership Forum and and connect them because there, there are more tools and resources coming online every day to help with that, Which right? can be prohibitive, right? I mean, sometimes I think it, it can be so overwhelming yeah. You know, how do you how do you create a cadence decision to, paralysis? How do you yeah. make analysis it easy for yeah. somebody to do it? I think yeah. that's the yeah. the key thing. You know, a big firm like Perkins and Will has a lot of resources, but you know, your average small firm may want to do this and may be interested in it, but you know, having those resources available at a different scale is a totally different things. So I think that's one of the things we've been talking about as a committee is how do we provide that? Yeah. You know, how do we make that available so that people who are committed to this and want to do the right thing can easily, you know, yes, you need to have clients who are interested in it. That always helps. But you can also, if it doesn't cost any more, you can educate people. Well, and, I, and I think our role is really, I mean, there are resources out there that, mm -hmm. that we know of and that we use. And, and, um, and part of our role is to, I think, to curate that. Right. Just to make it a little easier and curate a source, uh, depending on what your focus is and so forth mm -hmm. on that. And, and I, I think that would be a huge benefit to people. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're on the cusp of some tools coming out that are going to be really well, incredible. You just, you just put a playbook together, right? right? O plus A. Yeah. So that was. We have a downloadable eco playbook that we have. Metropolis Magazine has a climate toolkit. Uh, Ecomedes and Mindful Materials are and Mortar are coming together to, yeah. to have a new and improved database yeah. of materials yeah. that are searchable in all kinds of different ways. And I think we're on the verge of a really good embodied carbon calculator for interiors or 
already have one? Does anybody? EC3 is a great tool. But it still could be honed a little bit more. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But I think we're getting there. But I think, you know, the great thing to talk about Ecomedias for a second, they created a portal for ASID, and that actually allows us to to track engagement, which I think is kind of cool. So, and that's one of the things the committee is really thinking about. How do we engage people without scaring people away, right? And that's a big, that's a big part of it. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it comes back to like the systems that we're accustomed to. And, and I, I think of, you know, this culture of ease and comfort. And we were talking about how to making things easy and this and that and friction, frictionless. But I don't think change happens without friction. Got to so, break some dishes. So, right? in, some, some in some ways, we oh, need can't get to, bonus points for that. We need to get a little more. We need to dig in a little bit and say yeah. it's okay for this to be challenging, and yeah. but and we need to. Work I feel like it. you've talked about friction before. I'd always talk about. Well, friction. Berta, I, I, I have a saying that I used to say all the time that that um, uh, the the easy things have the greatest chance of being mediocre where it's the difficult things have the greatest chance of being excellent. He usually right. says that when he's being difficult. <laughs> I love it. Which is probably all the time. Oh, yeah. I find that hard to believe. Oh, oh, let's talk about being difficult. Okay, so sustainability. You just mentioned that it's, you're like, oh, I hate to use that word, but it's... it's well, it's bigger like, than that. Now. Right, and it's kind of like all we have right now. And I'd love to hear like how the committee is addressing going beyond sustainability and what that is or what that might be and why there's no word that we can really use. And Well, I think, I, I think it's, it, it's sustainability is one of these words that's always been a little bit question, you know, uh, uh, but we all know what it means. And, and now we've created the Committee on Climate Health and Work Equity, which is like climate health and equity is now even more words. And, uh, but I think it's more descriptive of what we're really talking about because as you know, David said earlier today, you know how talked about how those are so linked together, and uh, it's yeah. it's important. But I, I don't I don't know. It is. It's I think it's word. systemic. That's the thing. It's we could call systemic. It that's that's why ESG reporting is is some. It depends who you talk to. Sometimes it's working. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. But the problem is systemic, and and it 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 goes everywhere. And so you're not going to find one word that encapsulates what we're trying to do. That's but I think that linkage is actually an advantage because you brought up the point, how do you engage people? And I think different clients are going to have different engagement points based on who they are and what they're doing, right? And so part of our job as designers is to figure out what resonates with a client. Is it climate change? Is it health? Is it social equity? And that's your entry point into this. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can start to show them how design strategies that impact social equity also have an impact on climate change yeah. and resilience or also have an impact on health and sort of build and expand their awareness and appreciation for what the impact that design can have. Yeah. So I, you know, at first it feels challenging because they are so interconnected and you think, how, how can I address this? But I, I think it's actually an opportunity. I think the interconnectedness makes them more accessible for a larger group of people. I think when it was just sustainability back when how we were defining it, um, 
it was a little bit exclusive. But yeah, the, it was because like energy, water, yeah, yeah. like thing, it, and people Esoteric. didn't see themselves. Yeah. It was in a lot it. of engineering, right? right? right. Yeah. So now having the health piece and the equity piece, yeah, it's about people, not just resources. Exactly. So, yeah. well, and I think the equity piece of it. You said it, solve for equity, you're going to solve the problem. But I think, you know, the equity is such a big conversation, whether you're talking about fence line communities that have to live next to an oil refinery, right? You talk about Cancer Alley, um, you know, you know, you talk about this um, part of our population that is forgotten and destitute and, and they're the ones suffering the most. Or supply chains, labor, yeah. know, and supply chains yeah. and material extraction and, you know, all the work that Grace Farms is doing with the Design for Freedom toolkit. You know, oh, that's, yeah. you know, thinking about, you know, specifying materials that ensure that there's no slave forced, enforced labor, child labor in the supply chain. Like yeah. that's, that's really important. I think we have a lot of conversations about diversity and equity within the profession and how we, you know, bolster that in terms of, of what our, our design you know, community looks like, but we also need to remember the impacts that our design is having. Well, and these conversations come up. Remember when we first heard Nora from Grace Farms talk about slave labor in the building industry, and we were kind of blown away by that. I, I had no idea that, that that was a problem. And now you come to find that it's actually a huge problem. Huge problem. Yeah. And, and it's hard know. to find information on it yeah. if you start trying to look for it. It, so it's great that that work well, is being done. Transparency in materials and how they're made mm -hmm. and where they're made and mm -hmm. all of that stuff, I think, is going to bleed into some uh, exposing some other issues that we yeah. uh, ought to pay attention to. And those are going to be categories in this material database that Mindful Materials and <laughs> Ecomedies are yeah. collaborating on. Yeah, the But with the equity framework. question, too, the, 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 the one struggle, I think, is that um, interior design is looked at in a lot of ways as something that only wealthy people can afford. Mm. And I think um, looking more at, you know, public buildings and things like that, like where do people spend their time and things like it, we have to, and, and affordable housing and things like that. Those, I mean, applying, um, these ideas of health and sustainability needs to be kind of across the board and there needs to be more information and outreach and action in, in these areas that are uh, typically less served, you know, uh, than... So it benefits everybody, yeah, so, not just so, a few. So everybody can benefit and everybody can kind of see that, that, that there is a... Somebody paid attention to the school uh, my child is attending mm -hmm. to make sure there aren't, you know, harmful off-gassing of materials or the air quality is good or they've got natural daylight. Remember, <laughs> I remember when elementary schools were designed with like no windows, you know, mm -hmm. some of them are very few because they didn't want kids looking outside. Well, <laughs> turns out kids looking outside is a good thing, you know. True. Yeah. Look <laughs> at look at the reaction you climate. had today, right? We we're fortunate enough to be at OFS's headquarters here in Indiana on a beautiful sunny day, right? And you couldn't get over like all the sunlight that was 
washing into the building. Like, you were awesome. like, you were giddy about it, right? And, <laughs> and now we're in this really beautiful barn, right? And you, you know, to, the effect that space has on our well-being is yeah. immeasurable. You know, I, I'm in practice mainly in the world of workspace and interior workspace, and I would like to think that, like, if you work in an office that's sustainably designed, that has leadership that cares about it and so forth. A lot of times people that go in and work in those offices, they get exposed to that for the first time. And we always wanna help our clients like tell a great story about their space and we, we kind of help them tell that story and make sure that's an accurate mm -hmm. story yeah. uh, about what's going on. And that bleeds down into the people that work there because a lot of times people may choose a place to work um, because of the uh, sustainability um, values of, yeah. of the company. And, uh, and then if they can see that stuff in practice, they can start to bring that home and maybe change up a few things in the, the way they run their own lives mm -hmm. and their family. And then they tell their friends, and I think this is how it kind of gets out. But we have, as designers, a whole lot more influence than I think we realize sometimes. And there's so many layers to the conversation, too. I always think back about how you and I have been talking about this for a couple of years and how our understanding has evolved, right? And we've, we've kind of gone through our dark moments where it was, we were really, there was a lot to blame, you know? And, and, I, and, I, you know, and I'm as guilty as anybody of, like, listening to a podcast, you know, about, about what the big oil companies are doing today. And then I, like, I finish that podcast, and I'm, like, pissed off, and I'm angry. And, I, and then, I, you know, I fire up my gas-powered weed whacker to right. clean up the backyard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm, yeah. So, and you don't know what to do, right? I think that was one Buy of the things... One. <laughs> that was one of the things during the pandemic that I sort of had this epiphany because so many of my friends that are in other industries, right, they're accountants or, you know, whatever in tech. And there were so many things going on in the pandemic, you know, half the country was on fire and people that I knew just kept expressing this sort of futility, like it all feels so big and yeah. what can I do? And mm -hmm. I just one day was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I'm lucky because I am in a profession that does actually have an impact. And I kind of had this realization that whether whether we know it or not, like every day we get to show up at work and be hopeful because mm -hmm. we have to be able to envision a better future for our clients. We have to be able to believe that the solutions that we're designing for them are going to improve you know, their life in some capacity. And that's a pretty special, powerful thing, right? That we right. get to show up yeah. every day at work and yeah. be hopeful that things are going to get better. And I think we're pretty lucky to be in an environment that lets us do that. That makes me think a little bit about this idea of equity and a few things that we've been talking about. Um, how, so people that contribute the least to to the climate disaster are the ones that are going to have the, the biggest impacts, right? And we look at ourselves as Americans. And have you guys all seen that mm. chart, like how much energy point. or how much embodied yeah. carbon we release? Especially if you look at it from a historical perspective, we're by far like tw twice as much more than China or 
Russia, um, like 300, I don't know what the unit is, but we're like 300 and like your average around the world, even like in Europe, it's like 30 or 40. So we're hundreds times more, use more resources and spew more carbon into the air. And, you know, we were talking, we were talking, oh, this to me, this ties into friction and change. It's like, well, and you were talking about, you know, your gas powered motor, like ultimately, We need to use less stuff and we need to make less of an impact. We need to tighten our belts and mm-hmm. that's so hard. And I know, Jen, you, you talk a lot about reuse, reusing materials because that's that is the single best thing that you can do is to either do nothing or use less. Mm-hmm. And yeah. do, do you feel like it's you're making traction with that or that it's a hard sell? I think or so. how are you yeah, that There's a lot of... Um, initiatives and I see this in business new business ideas that are focused around reuse like we talked about receipt I think there's furnish for residential where you can rent something and then give it back to them for a credit um, when you're done with it so I think there is a movement in the industry towards reuse um, you know when I think about zero carbon interiors no matter what I do I'm adding carbon um, and there's carbon sequestration tools, but you know that that knowledge is still a little hazy. I mean, even for me, I don't quite know how to calculate that and how it's actually capturing um, uh, carbon. But I think reuse is a very strong tool right now that you can do to minimize. And and I think it also changes our idea of ownership. It used to be that we need to own something to, for it to have value. But if you're stewards of the things you own and you actually think about the next life, um, then that idea of ownership might change and it might change how we think about what we put into our design. I would add to that. I think we need to rethink the idea that things have to be redone every 10 years or Mm -hmm. on a regular cycle, because that was something when I first came to interior design, you know, from a historic preservation background, you know, I'm trying to preserve stuff, right, you know, adaptively reuse things. But it was kind of a shock to me to hear, you know, well, the average kitchen needs to be redone every 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about that whole mentality, it's it's inherently wasteful and not to talk us all out of employment. I was right? going to say, <laughs> but, that but I jobs. think there's a way to make things where you can re, you know, take them apart and reconstruct and the whole way you design things, design yeah. for disassembly. I mean, there's a right. whole right. bunch of things we could be focusing on besides start over, you know, take it to the landfill and. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it just seems the whole approach is a little off. Yeah. It seems like the role of the designer could could change or could could Evolve. be augmented. We're right. becoming more like psychologists mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. facilities people and uh, operations and um, well, it's almost like carbon carbon consultants, right? And yeah. thinking about our buildings as material banks and how that can be reused and reconfigured. Uh, And doing, you know, material audits Mm -hmm. and one of the challenges in in tenant improvement work is that lots of times by the time we come with a client to a space, it's already been demolished. Right. The landlord's already white boxed it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that opportunity is sort of removed from the equation. But if we can sort of pivot 
how interior design is perceived and our role in that process so that, you know, our role doesn't end at occupancy, but landlords actually look to interior designers to help say, you know, where are there opportunities with this space for me to, you know, to repurpose things. Uh, I think that's where we need to head. Yeah. And I feel mm -hmm. like some of that seems a little less sexy and exciting mm -hmm. than like designing something new. But I, th I think an interesting route is this idea of being part of a bigger team. And I know that's starting to happen more and more where interior designers plug mm -hmm. into a team of urban planners and architects. And you're looking at not just the interior of a building, but the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. do, do you guys have experience in any working on projects at that scale and, and, and embedding yourself into mm -hmm. a team like that? Any yeah. Ideas? Well, really pushing for integrated design um, at our oh, office that's the word element. Like <laughs> yeah, because um, I think it's hard to silo interiors and then architecture and then urban design and think of them all as separate systems. And I think there is a bit more streamlined um, sustainability approach when you think of it as an integrated process. Um, so... I'm trying to think there's a, a project and just in terms of space efficiency, there's a project where I came in and help set um, the structural grid because of the program that we knew it's required and the efficiency went up just because we were able to work together from the get go of a project. And there are things like that for sustainability um, that I think works when it's an integrated process. You know, Ken and I are working with a client right now that has really ambitious climate and embodied carbon goals. And we had an opportunity to sort of move move into a, a space where we could reuse things. We worked with the general contractor to identify, you know, they have, have a large presence in our area. And so they salvage materials from other sites, you know, studs and insulation and things like that, you know, and then our engineers to salvage and repurpose and reuse yeah, um, yeah. contractors are a big part of it too mm -hmm. it's not just the design team there is a huge disconnect between how long our materials and products last and how long we actually use them yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. well and some some products like like some carpet for example is extremely durable oh yeah it could last 50 years yeah, it, yeah. it can last forever but we throw it out anyway yeah it's and, funny you look they at say, like declare labels and they have the like life expectancy of all these products and it's 25 30 50 years on well, some of it and yeah. you're like, often yeah. it uglies out before it wears out exactly you know and uh and that's a little bit of an issue too you know so reclamation problem is, programs is like are yeah. we because i i feel like one of the one of another friction point of our uh, of change in our industry is that we are to influenced by fashion a lot yeah and yeah. it's more Friends. important in some yeah. ways that new products be different than they be good yeah. you know different is more important and oh what's new what's different oh we saw that last year we got can't possibly do that again we got to come up with something else yeah new color trends yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're not great and and it, it's like those of you that lived through the 80s you know that was a horrible but, time but, but in our I history think, i think the end user right like <laughs> for the, bad colors the employees that are moving into these spaces 
are more aware now, right? So yeah. it used to be that design had to pop. And like you, when you walked into your, your new office, you had to see all the new colors and all the new furniture. And you'd be like, this is amazing. This design firm is just amazing that they, it, it was all visual. It was all superficial. And I think now that, uh, you know, we do have a new generation mm -hmm. that are coming into these office buildings. And, and I think the pandemic has been kind of good in that regard that now we do understand that a healthy place of work is is a place where people feel safe going, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a, a lot more to it now. Yeah, I think people are looking for spaces that are more grounding, more balanced. Authentic. More authentic. Authentic, yeah. 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 Well, I Next. think with the equity part of it that I'm excited about is authentic for for who like who is actually benefiting from how we design and i think this kind of blows it up to a bigger conversation mm -hmm. um in terms of uh representing different groups of people that might not have been in the design communicate or conversations see themselves there. yeah 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 and i yeah. think that's a for me that's a really exciting portion of what we talk about because we are designing for people but it's for all people and what does that look like and you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, what does this look like or where are we going or trends? And we did talk about today, you know, research and how important it is to have pure research. Reliable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you open up opinions. one study and it says, hey, it's time to get back to work. And then you open up another study and it says people don't really want to go back to work yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So we're still getting a lot of mis mixed signals, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the equity piece also comes back to education. And I, I think it's not just about teaching equity. It's about showing ec or equity being part of yeah. the educational system mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and giving people agency and and celebrating diversity at that level and that 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 will also ladder up. And changing our design process, like, oh, God. like <laughs> rethinking our design process to give us a whole other oh. panel. I'm teasing you, oh. <laughs> but now we're going to change. Yeah, the did, I, did I miss no, the segment? No, please talk about the design process. Well, I, I mean, I, we're going to be here another hour. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, changing how we go about engaging with clients so that, you know, those underserved, underrepresented people in the community or in the company have a voice mm -hmm. and opening that up and, you know, I think we think lots of times, uh, you know, doing a focus group at the beginning of a project or whatever is, you know, oh, like we gave them a chance to, you know, tell us what they wanted. And then now we're not going to talk to them again and they'll just show up <laughs> on opening day. Right. Yeah, and yeah. like where are their opportunities to be more inclusive in the process and co-create is something that, you know, we're talking about a lot. Or be now. on the design team. Yeah, That's exactly. Working point. for the firm. Yeah. Right. That I'm yeah. assuming the this committee will address yes. as well. Awesome. Yes. On our long hey, list. I'd love to just talk a little bit about the space that we're in. Yeah. John and I already got into our first argument because yep. we're we're in a horse barn and right. the, the stalls barn. are way too clean. And John's like, Yeah, they they bring their horses in every night. And I'm like, No. These I don't are, know if I said every way, night. Way too clean. But anyways. Well, it's beautiful though. Yeah, this I could sleep here. I could sleep in that stall right there. <laughs> Duke's Duke's stall. I could sleep. Maybe there. with a mattress. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I'm saying a mattress. There's some mattress. hay. Would be fine. All right. Duke, the, the Duke um, suite is yours, John. Tonight. Ah, I'm it. sure I'm sure this can be arranged. Right. So we we are here, guests of OFS. At Cool Springs. At Cool Springs, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, most of us is, have been here at least once before. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. 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 And, and speaking of authentic, this yeah, is an incredible and, space. And I, I do want to talk about Cool Springs for a little bit. And, you know, if Doug thinks that we're plugging, we can ed- edit this out, Doug. He's going to cut it out, I'm sure. But <laughs> I think what's amazing about Cool Springs, and I know we, everybody had their own takeaway from our experience that we had yesterday. And, Vert, I'm, I'm sorry that you experienced commercial airline travel at its peak yesterday. And, <laughs> Jen, you experienced it as well. Welcome to yeah, the world of global <laughs> travel. But, but to, to um, get to know a company, company like OFS who has taken on a role of steward um, of the re- of their resources goddamn flies it's like we're in a horse barn or something <laughs> so but but to, for them to take on a role of steward and and we actually spent time with their ranger who who takes care of the trees on the property and to, to hear him talk about these trees and how they um, how they uh, create healthy spaces for their trees to grow. I, I don't know. It it definitely puts things in new perspective for me. It was an amazing experience. I think what's exciting about that and kind of I think what can tie this all together is, you know, this whole sustainability, climate health, whatever we want to call it, it's all it's it's still ultimately a personal journey and you have to access it mm. through mm-hmm. what you're mm. passionate about or what you believe in. And I think that's yep. what's so amazing about this place is that this is this is what they own and this is how this is how they're taking this journey and no matter how you approach it you're still going to get to that's an that's a really excellent point verda i think to make is that it is personal for everybody you know Mm -hmm. how far they're doing it and i always think about i forget where i heard it it may have been an al gore kind of that comment or something just about the idea like you know in the future when your grandchildren ask you, what did you do to help fight climate change? You know, you want to have an answer for them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not a goddamn thing. Or, <laughs> you know, I worked really hard. I got involved. I tried to convince other people. I tried to be an there advocate. There wasn't enough money in I, it for me. So, you know, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too much friction. Exactly. <laughs> much you know, but, but I think that, that's where it starts to get really personal. You know, when you have children or you have grandchildren and, yeah. and you think about their about future. And it's, and it's your legacy and it's how you legacy. look at and, and I, I can guarantee you people look kids today look at the future differently than I looked at it. Mm-hmm. I looked at it like it's always going to be like this. Yeah. And our kids are now looking at it for the first time. It's not going to be like this. No, it's changed. I'm not sure I want to have <laughs> children and bring yeah. them into the, a world yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. Questions yep. like that are happening if you have adult children like well, it's I happening do. for yeah. us too like coral reefs are going to be gone in a few years 70 percent of that. dolphins are gone exercise hope Verda. yeah we've <laughs> figures we've got about 30 days 30 days <laughs> and then that's it maybe yeah. 45 <laughs> If you've enjoyed today's episode, drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. 
To hear more trailblazers taking on the world's issues through the lens of design, visit us at breaksomedishes.com. I'm Berta Alexander. And I'm John Strasner. And you've been listening to Break Some Dishes. <laughs>